episode 0.0024094 something or other now. Some one of you guys was trying to convince me that we're up to version one in the new year, but we're not. We're never going to get to version one. I think it was Scott last week. But welcome. This is the show where us four MSP geeks uh, talk MSP stuff and laugh about MSP stuff and um, and dive into all the worlds of um, all the things that we did wrong or do wrong in our MSPs and things that we got right and um, lessons we learned and we uh, we kind of share and and have a bit of fun about um, and teaching others about how to to go through and navigate this world. So tonight's topic, we um, decided to talk about tech stacks and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna admit something that's probably a little bit embarrassing in in that when i had my msp i sold it in 2016 but in 2013 so only probably 2012 2013 only three or four years before i sold my msp i had never even heard of the term tech stack didn't even know what it meant had no clue we'd built all this stuff and tools and whatever i had no idea about optimizing tech stacks and alignment of clients or any of that sort of stuff and the all the good juiciness that you get out of those things. So it took me some time. That was kind of three or four years into my MSP journey that I learned about the whole goodness of what a tech stack is and, and how important it is to any MSP. Um, so Scott's mentioned on this one here that um, he's been doing a whole bunch of background note taking and everything that he would like to dive into. So I'm going to hand the whole reins over to him and I'm going to shut up because I was the, the embarrassed guy that didn't know anything about tech stacks. And we're, we'll, we'll let Scott run with a few of his tips and tricks around picking them and what what categories that as an MSP, you should be making sure that you've got some sorts of coverage in, and then we'll just see where this conversation flows and goes. So, Scott? Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, bud. Kick it off. Let's go. Well, so last week we covered kind of like managed service and service desk and in hours, out of hours, on-site, remote support. We did all that. And then the comments were resoundingly interested in, yeah, that's cool, but what about like actual tech stacks and what should I be covering in that? good, better, best, you know, set of plans. Um, so I just went away and, you know, there's, I mean, if you are a Tech Tribe member, um, firstly, go and look in the Tech Tribe. There's an awesome discussion thread that was kicked off by Ernest Murray, uh, where he really openly shares like everything that they use in their tech stack over at Genuine Technology. He even includes his entire sales proposal. Here's all the products and services that we offer. And it's, you know, it's such a great resource. That and package price profit available on the Amazon bookstore, uh, 37th in the best consulting books. Um, but genuinely, it, it kind of broke down in my mind to kind of four key areas. You can look at the, the general stuff that you need to supply as an MSP. There's a per device area for me. There's a per user area. And then there's kind of the global services. Now, I'm not saying that you have to price in that way, but these kind of all the things that you have to kind of have in mind. Um, so what I'll do is I will breeze through some of these. And what I'd love to do is, is for people to just jump in and see, you know, we can talk. I don't know whether people, let me know in the comments if you want to hear like specific vendors for these technologies. Um, and we won't dive into the vendors themselves, but we'll just name, you know, some of, some of the best ones that we see, you know, when we work with MSPs as well. Um, but firstly, under general, of course, you have to have an RMM or a PSA tool. Um, and so we all know the most popular ones are sort of the ConnectWise, the Autotask, but then there's all the up-and-comers, there's all the Synchros, there's the Halo PSAs coming along, there's Ninja RMM, all those kind of great tools. And we still have that discussion that's going that's saying, hey, do we still need an RMM tool these days mm -hmm. after what happened with the Kaseya breach the other month? But, but right now, we need some kind of remote monitoring management tool. We need some kind of ticket automation tool. Um, we also provide remote support, on-site support, consultancy, just like we talked about last week. We do also then provide licensing. Now, Typically, when I see the productivity suite licensing, it sits outside of the, the stacks, these good, better, best pricing stacks. Not exclusively, but most of the time I see that people say, hey, this is your service and support, whether that's per user or per device, and here is your productivity licensing, whether it's 365 or, or something else. Um, then outside of that, we've got network monitoring, managed hardware services, some kind of GDPR or compliance or cyber essentials tool, um, and then quoting tools, quoting and pricing. Those are the kind of things that you need inside your MSP just to be able to start offering these packaged services. But let's get into the, the meaty stuff, and we can, we can dive into these as we go. On a per-device basis, in my mind, we've got to look after monitoring, so CPU, RAM, disk, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to have some kind of agent on there to do the monitoring, feeding that back into the service desk. 
we then need a remote access tool, whether that's built into your RMM platform or whether that's another third-party remote access tool that you're using. We need something there so that we can jump on if anything breaks. We need to be looking after antivirus because, duh, it's antivirus, but also disk encryption and file encryption on that device. We need to be including that. There needs to be a firewall. We need to be looking after the Microsoft updates and patching and feature updates. And, you know, do we need to be locking down to say, hey, you can't update to Windows 11 yet because, you know, the business isn't ready or the business has made a decision or we're going to stay on Windows 10. We need to look after third-party application updates. So a lot of the times this gets overlooked. And so, great, everything's up to date from a Microsoft stack or a Mac OS stack, but nothing's looking after the third-party apps. Then I would recommend that we have some kind of configuration management so that we say, hey, this is how the device should be configured. These are the firewalls that, you know, that should be on there. This is the Wi-Fi keys that we're allowed to use. This is how users uh, are allowed to be on there in terms of having user access, not admin access. So all that configuration policy is managed centrally and tracked against a, um, you know, a set of standards that you've put out. And then finally, on a per-device basis, to make life easier for everybody, you should definitely have some kind of gold imaging process or platform. Or in a modern Microsoft stack, I'd be using Autopilot and, and Intune and Endpoint Manager to get that device rolled out. Doing that, I think, gives us a nice holistic management around a device. And I'm thinking particularly like Windows or, or Mac OS laptops and desktops here. So I'm just going to see if there's any comments. I just, I just Do you feel a, a quick one into the end that um, that's one of my favorite on our devices is um, or my yeah. favorite to help me sleep at night. And that's threat hunting, like persistent threat hunting tool on there. That's that's completely yeah. separate to your AV or your next AV or whatever it happens to be. Um, and that might be something like Huntress Labs or or one of them. That's just whole purpose is to sit there and look for persistent threats that it's un, that are unknown at the moment. So that's another one that I love yeah. seeing in that that per device mix no, along with. Sorry, you go, Scott. No, no, I was going to say that that's that's a really good shout. I think the threat hunting and the Huntress Labs and Huntress, as we know, are just so open about everything that they see from a technology perspective, every threat that they see. And, and also anything that they've done, we know that they had their own issues recently and they were really <laughs> transparent about what happened in their yeah. own organization. So I just think as a credible vendor for threat hunting, you know, and analytics going on on the device, they're awesome. As well as, you know, on a wider perspective with Huntress, really, really good shout. Um, the other one I just threw in there at the end was application whitelisting as well. We also use a yeah. whitelisting tool on all of our devices, and um, and that's they, those two things are sub, add so much value to my sleep at night factor in our business. Just knowing that we got those two tool sets on there as well. No, I think something's worth mentioning when trying to select these tools is um, loads of people. Are, I mean, there's been a few comments around like which tools specifically, which mm -hmm. vendors, and those kind of things. Um, scaling back a little bit. First of all, it's worth just knowing what kind of devices and what kind of things you're looking after. Because I know that the um, you know the challenges lots of people have is if they've got lots of Mac clients, well, actually, lots of the RMM tools don't do Mac as well. So it's worth just finding out which you know what devices have your clients got, what are you trying to look after, what you're trying to do with those devices, so you actually know which tools can then you can then look at and investigate and trial and demo and all those kind of things, and just to find yeah. out what's going on out there. Because I know certainly in um, like MDM kind of solutions. There's a whole kind of issue with MDM with sometimes with sometimes will be like Android heavy. They'll do everything on Android, but nothing on Apple and then vice versa. And trying to find the solutions that can do both of them equally well and restrict devices and restrict applications, that can be quite challenging as well. Yeah. It's probably worth no, saying as well about some of the um, the PSA tools that because people are talking about in the comments, you're getting a, the new the next generation of combined RMM and PSA tools as well. So no longer is it like you have one speaking to the other. So you got like a Terra. Super ops, things like that are coming down the line. And um, I'm going to throw it in now because we're only, what, like six minutes in. Artificial intelligence, AI <laughs> is at the center of nearly all of the tools that we're talking about here. And if you're, if you're speaking to a vendor and they're not talking about the investment they're making in AI, it's probably time to speak to another vendor because AI is going to play a huge part of the future of money services. Yeah, I think the the whole uh, threat hunting, artificial intelligence, it's also developing to the point where now I saw a, a vendor this week um, who have a single agent that they deploy. Uh, and this is Heimdall. Actually, if you've not come across them, it's a single security agent that they deploy that will take care of a number of things. You can kind of choose which, which features do you want to turn on, uh, but it's all done through a single agent. But they'll do you know, antivirus, anti-spam, you know, protection on the device. They'll do XDR, so extended um Oh, I wish now I remembered what DR stood for. <laughs> Detection and response. 
yes, there we go. Um, but they'll do they'll go over and above antivirus into right into XDR, but they'll also interface with the email client. So they've also worked with like the likes of RBS and NetWest here in the UK to look for common um, phishing scams and common um, sort codes and account numbers that get injected into documents right. which are being sent to known dodgy bank accounts for scammers. And that is actually picked up by some heuristics on the device that then goes, hey, I see you've clicked that and I see we have this invoice, but actually these are dodgy numbers. Please don't send anything. And it will block that and alert it. That's very clever. But it also does third-party patching. It also does Microsoft patching. It also does a ton of things all through a single agent. So there are some very modern people, and they're obviously their biggest competition is people like Sophos with their Intercept X yeah. suite, which is aiming to do very, very similar things inside XDR. Um, so Sophos is always really, really popular. Um, I would, I would argue, some of the great Microsoft tools are coming along really well inside Defender, and the new Defender for Business is now looking to do XDR as well. So there's, there's a lot that's happening there. Uh, what have we got? We got antivirus. So yeah, I mean, I most commonly see Sophos. I see Bitdefender. As a, as a really good, especially if you're a small, nimble MSP, Bitdefender is a really good um, place to start. Again, that will also do some of your third-party patching and management. It's not as strong as something if you're looking for those real XDR features. Right. Encryption, um, I mean, we use BitLocker when it comes to, to Microsoft suites. We can enforce encryption on Mac devices. Um, slightly harder to manage, to your point, Pete. You know, we can now... Jamf has come a long way in terms of getting Macs integrated with Azure Active Directory. So if you have Macs in your mixed Mac and Windows environments and you're trying to do a lot through you know, Azure AD, then Jamf has actually come a really long way in, in getting that done now. We're doing some more testing with that today, actually, and it's, it's really impressive now, the, the seamless kind of integration that we can get. Um, firewall, yeah, okay, Defender is is doing a good job on, on Windows devices, but there are many, many um, vendors. I can't speak to that particularly. We only use Defender when it comes to Macs, uh, sorry, when it comes to Windows in, in our estates, but if anyone here knows any great Windows OS-based or Mac OS-based firewalls, on top of what you're getting out of the software suites, what we all know is don't go putting Norton out because it will also pretend to be an antivirus and a Bitcoin miner at the same time. <laughs> anyway. It <laughs> um, sounds more like uh, what McAfee would do with uh, the ex-founder. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was a character. <laughs> was a character, um, yeah. But if we just skip, because well, a lot of the comments uh, are coming along onto things that look more like per-user-based things yeah, as well. Right. So... From a user perspective, I'd absolutely include a password manager. Um, and that is not just like thinking, hey, tools like IT Glue or you know, where you can have your passwords as an MSP, but actually end user password controls. Um, so yeah. we're currently rocking a suite from MyKey. You know, there, there are quite a few great vendors out there, but MyKey is interesting for us for two reasons, three reasons. Amongst the reasons that MyKey is interesting for us, if I go for the old multi-Python sketch, um, we get our own portal um, so that we have our passwords for us as a business, as well as we get a context for each of our customers. So we then pop in all the, the platform-based passwords that we need for the customers. The end users in that customer also get a password manager. So every single end user inside the organization has their own you know, password management tools. And we know end users are not great with passwords. So this actually helps them you know, with a little browser plugin start to take control and use password management tools. Really, really nice. The third reason that I like it so much is that it is completely decentralized. So there is not a single repository in the service provider cloud somewhere that has all these passwords in it. So you're not going to get a single data breach, as they thought happened with LastPass just around Christmas time, mm -hmm. is that the master passwords have been breached, and so all of your LastPass passwords are ours. That's not going to happen with this particular tool because Mikey is completely decentralized. In fact, it constantly reminds you, hey, the passwords only live on this device. Do you want to back them up somewhere? Because that would make sense. I like that because, again, with things like the Kaseya breach, we've seen that the big providers are not infallible when it comes to security. So having a distributed approach to this for a password management tool makes good sense to me. Moving along with the users, we all know that they've all got a job to do. Um, and so cyber awareness training is really important for me. And it's got to be lightweight. It's got to be, you know, really snackable, you know, little reminders, little prompts for people. To, hey, just get that little training module in this week. It's only going to take you five minutes. Uh, one of the best ones I've seen here in the UK, at least, is Know Before. 
Um, and they are very good at providing almost little Netflix style videos. Yeah, entertaining. Five minute videos. Yeah, yeah, it's good. You've got to make funny. cyber training entertaining for an end user to get yeah. the, the message out of it. Also, because just a note on them. On No Before as well, because I've had this issue with quite a few people I've spoken to. They'll go to No Before, they'll speak to them, they'll go, we don't deal with you, or you're too small, or too expensive, whatever it's going to be. Brigantia, if you go to Brigantia, yeah. they actually resell the No Before side of things. So you need, right. I think you can just sign up for like one license if you need just right. one user. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's on a yeah, per yeah. user per month kind of arrangement. It's like a dollar, a dollar to um, do it yourself, or $2 if they manage it for you. Um, but yeah, if, if you get stuck with the user awareness training, go through Brigantia, not directly to No Before. You secure was yeah, the one definitely. that I, I've seen coming out on a lot of people's um, agendas as well, or use secure as I first read it as um, <laughs> because it's in cybersecurity. <laughs> but what do they use secure call it? Um, human threat management, I think, or human response right. management or something. Yeah. It's like, like they've categorized a new term, which I quite like for that. So. I like it. In the uh, in the US markets, we've seen breach secure now is really yeah. really good. Um, the reason we we specifically picked no before for our category in, in the UK was that they have UK based content, um, and that right. made it more relevant. and And the thing that you've got to do with security, so, you know, training is make it relevant to the to the users. And so we just found it fun, engaging. The video content was good. They have little little games that you can play, like you know, hunt the fish the ph and you have to spot the fishy emails um but it's really snackable and i think that's that's one of the main things exactly as you said pete you can buy the licenses and sell it and do it yourself or for an extra like you say an extra dollar a user brigantia will do a full managed service so they'll set up all the phishing plans they'll set up all the training plans they'll monitor all the responses they'll chase the end users they'll provide the reports you don't do anything you just kind of go hey Here's end user cyber awareness training. It's really good. And it's a fully managed service for you as an MSP, which isn't that what we all want? Something that's completely automated. And, you know, we, we can just add, add a bit of price on there, but it's really, really valuable. Um, I would jump to, you need a web content filter. Um, I've put that under per user. You might think it's per device, but generally the rules apply per users or per groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely you have to have some kind of web content filter. So whether that's, you know, any DNS, um, again, Defender has a new module that is a web content filter that's built in these days. Um, but if you guys know any other great ones, I'm, I've typically been any DNS and then I've moved we, to... We just get like Cisco DNS filter. Cisco, Cisco umbrella. DNS filter. Yeah. And, um, umbrella. Yeah. So yeah. Content Shield mm-hmm. as well, which is a, a good product. So. And, yeah. and I think it's really important um, to cover these kind of things because so lots of people will start building their like the, the tech stack, so to speak, and we go, oh, I don't really need a URL filter. Like That's just quite a minor thing. But actually, it, it, it saves the day in quite a few situations when things get through yeah. that they shouldn't get through. And actually, you realize there's a site that's still being allowed through by all the AV engines and all everything else. And you can just go to one place, you can block it, and all of your clients are then protected from that particular issue. It's so, so yeah. useful. Great point. And was something I want to say, we've not had any, I'm keeping an eye on the chat and I was waiting for people to say, how do we afford all of this stuff? It all costs money and do we charge the client for it and all the rest of it before we get to there. So I want to preempt that by saying, because content filtering, I think is a great example that sometimes you've not got to look at the cost of the product, but how it lowers your cost of support. So what Pete said was absolutely spot on there. It's like, if you put content filtering in place, I know companies that have saved hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of man hours over uh, months and years because they're eliminating the need to bring in machines that have just been decimated and then re-image them, put them out there, all the rest of it. So instead of just looking at the cost of the tool, have a look at how much it's going to support, how much it's going to lower your cost of support. Easy way to do that with your PSA tool. Have a look, pick the top three things type of tickets that you're getting coming through and if it's things like anti uh, virus infections or or whatever it might be then think how can we mitigate the risk of these uh, this happening i always like when i'm having the sales conversations with the clients around those particular tools i never like talking about the cost of having the tool i like talking about the cost of mm-hmm. not having the tool and that gets them into a completely Great. different frame of thinking about about what that the actual total cost of their business could be if they didn't have that particular tool in place or that particular like the security tools and and approach that we take to things. So just a way to to, to approach those convos that you're having in your sales scenarios is is not to think how much this tool is going to cost us. It's how much to think it's going to cost you if you don't have the damn tool in place. Yeah. One one thing that might be worth um, touching on. I know, I know we touched on the end of the last last session is like the, the best of breed thing. So I know there's a whole thing the whole msp space is going through acquisition after acquisition and 
you know, particularly the PSA and RMM vendors, they're all just buying whatever they can and integrating it within their tool set. And there's quite a um, quite a common theme that I see where someone will just go to ConnectWise, for example, and they'll go, okay, I'm going to buy the ConnectWise stack. And they get every single tool set. They've got the quoting tools, the RMM, the PSA, the remote support, like all of the things. But then actually, those things may not be the best of the best that's out there. Um, yeah. It's not necessarily a bad thing as long as you're actually using all the features and there's that whole discussion around like just doesn't really matter what tools you're using, just use the damn thing and you know, <laughs> learn it the best way you can. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> don't 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 just default and go, it's ConnectWise. I'm just gonna whatever you want to sell, I'll buy it because it's all gonna integrate nicely, it's all gonna work nicely. Actually, that's not always the case. Um certainly my experience, we we dotted between different vendors and pulled in, you know, what we felt was the best. We we kind of assessed, did demos, trials, whatever we could do. And um, and not just once, not just the first time around when we looked at the tools first time, we kept revisiting years and years later going, okay, this year, let's have another look at that tool because, hey, it would make sense if we could do those integrations. Actually, no, it's still crap. They haven't done any dev work to it. Let's stick with what we've got. It's just worth having that time spent once a year, once every other year or so to just revisit your tech stack and go, is it the best that we can do? Is it, yes, of course, yeah. you've got the pricing thing because all the prices are going up, but actually... Does the tool do what we need to do? Is it doing the best thing of all the other things that are out there? We've got the next-gen antivirus engines coming over. Have you actually spent some time going, I've got my Bitdefender over here, it's fine. Actually, spend that time and look at what these other engines can do and how much protection they can give your business. It's well well yeah. worth it. Just You might be missing out on, on something that you just haven't been paying attention to. We covered the pros and cons, didn't we, of this, um, you know, having the whole stack from one vendor or minimizing the number of vendors you have. We covered this before Christmas. Can't remember the exact episode, but all the episodes are available to stream on YouTube. Go and check it out. And we we actually went into a report, didn't we, at the time that looked at, the, you know, a survey from around the world um, uh, uh, put together by a cronist saying, what are the pros and cons of minimizing the number of vendors you got? And there are pros and cons. There's no clear answer on it. So, but yeah, go and check that episode out. Nigel, if we can find if we can find that episode, put the URL in there. I can't no, remember which one it was. No, I can't remember what one it is either. Um, <laughs> I'll just grab some of the, the comments. <laughs> subscribe to the channel. I was just going to um, say, we've got a bunch of good comments coming in and questions coming in. So maybe we yeah. should swap across to them just for a, a pause in the middle and then we'll jump across to some of the other stuff that you had in that other row in there, Scott. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. So I've, I've got um, Simon pointed out, of course, that when we talk about web content filter, that is actually included in that Heimdall tool that I mentioned, where it's a single agent that will do many, many things. So web right. content filter is one of those oh. checkable options. Um, Terry's pointed out a lot of the stuff that we're covering here is covered in the entire Sophos stack. Yeah. I think that's that's absolutely true. Um, there's a lot of great endpoint stuff that's covered in Sophos. Um, I find Sophos too expensive um, as an MSP, just when you start to add all these different things up. Um, but we'll we'll cover that when we talk a bit more about costs. We, later. we were at Sophos um, finding our MSP way back then, and I loved the fact that the the computers integrated with the firewall as well. So, yeah. so if something happened or something, they could lock it down at firewall and port levels and everything. The whole thing kind of connected backwards and forwards, which was awesome. But yes, it wasn't the cheapest. Um, Sticker price tool out there, that's for sure. But uh, but again, it's total yeah. cost of ownership that you go to in these things, and um, and and we really loved it. There was a few like any vendor, there was a few nuances with it and the way that distribu distribution worked out here. But overall, they were a really strong vendor for us out here. No, and I, I think they're a really credible tool. I think I, I genuinely, I think for me, it's a price for functionality yeah. issue that I have. Um, but I wouldn't say that that's a reason to not go with Sophos if you're happy that you you know, have a good premium product and you can, you know, get that value across to the client and you can price it in the right way that the stack makes sense and it's profitable for you as an MSP, there's nothing wrong with Sophos. It's a fantastic set of tools. And yeah. to your point, Nigel, I also like that it integrates when you have those firewall devices and it can integrate, say, hey, yeah, I've seen something here and I'm actually going to make a change at the firewall level yeah. to protect us. It was awesome. Um, what else did we have? Um, Simon, yeah, I don't do know if make, you work at Heimdall or just know it really well, um, but he's also pointed out that uh, privilege uh, escalation management uh, can also happen with Macs and Windows uh, in the side the Heimdall tool. Auto elevates a, um, tool, a tool there that, that um, gets talked about a lot in the MSP space. A bunch of people use. They just got port yes. recently from my understanding as well. Auto elevate. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, Chris is saying he agrees with Pete. Make sure that the PSA tool that you pick is right, right for your business and don't just buy the first one you find because everyone else has had it. It's a really good point. We, we tried to onboard with a couple of the big boys when we set out uh, two years ago and just from a sheer getting started, um, it, it 
didn't make any financial sense. You know, there were fees being thrown around like £6,000 of onboarding fees so that they could set up the tool for you to use it. And I'm like, is this not a PSA tool that's used by hundreds of thousands of MSPs? And uh, yet I need a £6,000 implementation fee to use your SaaS product. Um, and I think in terms of the whole consolidation and, um, you know, multiple vendor thing, I think Ernest makes a really good point about this when we see this in the, the Tech Tribe forums. So this idea that it's it's great to have a different set of vendors um, or you can start to consolidate your stack into a smaller number of vendors and manage it with a really tight integration. I think if you're going to have those separate tools, you have to pick the ones that have some level of automation involved so that when you're provisioning or deprovisioning your, your, your levers and your, your starters, all of that stuff kind of gets taken care of. Yeah. The billing gets synchronized into your billing system so that that's all nice and easy and the pro rates all happen because otherwise your techs are managing multiple platforms. And to one of the comments that came in earlier on, some of those portals were like they were, you know, from 1985. <laughs> Built in the 80s. <laughs> you just you, you take forever to get NFL thing done um so and you know if it's if it's going to be different vendors and different tools they need to be automated for simplicity for your techs but also if we we have to do regular reviews to make sure that we're using the right products you know for the right reasons and Ernest has got a great approach to this he kind of does this on an annual basis and so he has like the the 2021 tech stack you know, per device. And so this, these were the products and services that were included. If they make a change in 2022, he doesn't necessarily say that he's going to force all of his customers to change. Right. So they're on the 2021 stack and that's how they're defined in his PSA system. People who come in on the 2022 stack have got theirs. He might still have customers on the 2020 stack, but they're clearly documented inside their PSA tool. Right. So that way, when the techs get a ticket that comes in, they already know which customer is on which product and what services should they be using? Because one of the hardest things is when you do choose to change horse, let's say, we, hey, we're stopped going to use you know, Microsoft for everything in terms of security and we're going to jump ship to Sophos. Well, that's an increased price. So am I now going to go back to all of my previous customers and upgrade all of them? Are they on a journey to upgrade all of them? Or how do I tell the guys dealing with the tickets which customers on which stack? So I really, I like Ernest's approach to that, which is he's kind of tagged the 2021 stack, the 2022 stack. And so he's committed to this annual review of what's in, what are the products, this is what you get. And it saves kind of jumping horse, changing horse, jumping ship, one of those. It saves you doing that mid-year because it's, it's no mean feat to go and choose the next set of products. You have to evaluate, you have to test, you can't just willy-nilly change these things. Because then you've got to reproductize them. You've got to do your commercial models. You've got to get all your sales materials up. Then you've got to do the migration. The biggest yeah. chunk of yeah, all. And that, that's the if you're up. then going to go and change all your clients, you've got to move them all over. And all of that is a distraction from building you know, new revenue, new customers. It's a distraction from the great service that you want to give to the customers. Because as far as the customer is concerned, they're still getting a great technology security service that you're taking care of as their MSP. You've got your reasons to move, maybe for price, maybe for features. But for the customer, they're probably not really bothered, right? So when you choose to make those things, I like the idea of doing it on an annual basis because it will be less of a distraction to your day-to-day. -day. I would love to see how that looks on like a an, an in, both an invoicing point of view and yeah, a, um, like a security report point of view. So if, if someone gets hacked and they just say, well, this is what we're paying for, and it says that you're paying for the protection that protects you against 2021 viruses and declined <laughs> yeah. upgrades to 2022 viruses. Agreed. <laughs> how that would come off. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> I think you've got to weigh it up in that, um, that some stuff you might review yearly, but security stuff, you've got to review that all time, real time, all the time, right? Like new threats come along, new new hacking types of theorem things come along. You've got to, that stuff's got to be added to stacks immediately. You can't wait for the year review for that sort of stuff. But when it comes to things like backup vendor changes or some of those sorts of other ones, they're the sorts of things that could probably go on a, an annual cadence or a whatever sort of cadence you, you end up coming up with in there. Yeah, I think if new if new tools come along, I think that's really cool. But then do you go back and enforce that on all of your existing customers? Do you put the price up for everyone? Do you go and have a conversation that says, hey, we recommend that you add this new product because we're, we're adding it into our stack? How does that work? Would you just like to just eat the margin on that for yeah. your existing customers? So here's the, if I had an MSP today, um, 
one of the ways I would seriously consider approaching that would be that all of my customers are on customers are on either the one stack or the one of the three stacks, like the, the good, better, best, or just a single stack. And then if something came along that perhaps there's this new thread out in the world that has to be mitigated by a certain new tool set that comes in, um, I would immediately likely just eat that for a month or two or three or whatever and just say, hey, everybody, we've just put this into your stack now. Upon renewals, upon whatever it happens to be, we'll, there'll now be a price increase. But because I've priced my agreements with enough margin there to, to, to deal with things like that that happen from time to time, I would potentially either eat it for a short period of time or just have my agreements um, contracted so that price increases can happen pretty regularly in there without having to be locked into a termed agreement and move them up and down. And, um, and I think that's how I would personally approach it nowadays so that I could have that flexibility of putting stuff in when and where I wanted it to and where the need arised to without having to, to wait for that that kind of renewal process or whatever it happened to be um, and and kind of just keep that singular stack, like that singular covering there so that I know that it's, it's everyone's got it. Like if like Huntress Labs is a perfect example. If I had an MSP out there, I would look at that and go, holy crap, like I'm now that I know that something like that exists, I'm not going to be able to sleep at night knowing it's not on every one of my client's machines full stop. So I'm going to wear that cost just for now to get it across a lot just so that I can sleep better at night. And then I'm going to figure out pricing in the next two, three, four, five months to get the pricing up to the point where I'm still making the same margins across in there. And, and that's how I would probably do it if I was to run an MSP today. There's millions of ways to approach that though, like the, that kind of annual review or termed contracts and, and re, renegotiating then and throwing everything in. But you got to work out what works for you. Yeah, I think some of the MSPs I've spoken to recently have, have maybe trapped themselves into a corner because they were so keen to lock in that three-year commitment yeah. from the client oh, yeah. that they've kind of fixed the price for three years. They've also, in some cases, they've fixed the licensing price for three years. And as we all know, there's mm-hmm. there's big changes coming up in March for you know a lot yep. of the Microsoft licensing, and they're already having to eat quite a bit of that. And yeah. you know, th- there might be some naivety that's happened in some partners, but it's definitely something that I've seen with some of the people that I've spoken right. to in that Chasing they've the fixed contract. those prices. And so, you know, as these new threats come along, it's hard to go, well, I'm just going to throw those in and I'm going to eat the margin because yeah. there's no if I'm there's turned. no space for them to kind of grab that back. I think they yeah. they have to have a strategy that says, hey, we're going to add this on. And maybe you add it on at minimal margin, you know, to just to get it on there. I if it genuinely know. is going to protect the customer but also if it's going to cause you less hassle and less pain as the msp because you know they're not going to get breached and that's going to make my life a lot easier and less tickets and all that kind of stuff then there's good reasons to do that but i think not everyone especially if they're looking for an exit yes not everyone they is want evaluation. Monthly, yeah. yeah then they're not on these monthly flexible contracts they're not on the, even on the yearly flexible contracts they've yeah. tried to cut you know lock people in for longer term and so yeah. It's difficult to just there add things into the also, stack. In saying that, though, I've seen a number of MSPs um, have terms and flexible contracts, like mix the best of both worlds together. So you've got terms, but you say, hey, as part of these contracts, you're locked in for three years because we need to make sure that we're, we're, we know the resource for your, your agreement and whatever it happens to be. And sometimes clients need to be locked in because there's board mandates and whatever to go and, and sign up with suppliers for three-year agreements. But we yeah. need some flexibility in this agreement to move up and down based on based on the current market conditions of security landscape and whatnot. I've seen a few MSPs approach it that way pretty successfully. And it, they, they, any you can come up with any sort of contract, rules, agreement, structure, or whatever you want nowadays, as long as you get a good lawyer to help you craft it up. You can make them termed and flexible and have the best of both worlds in, in things now. So you can, you can get pretty creative in it. Scott, you mentioned yeah, hassle and pain, which is that you should, could argue is the life of a managed service provider. I wouldn't be <laughs> to say that. Uh, I want to bring the conversation back. To, we're talking all about the technical tools, and especially when you mentioned about best in breed, I want to talk about you know the difference between best in breed and the culture of the supplier that you're working with, because it can cause an incredible amount of hassle and pain if you're working with a supplier when things go wrong and they're just not there for you. They're not good and we know there are players like that in the managed service provider market who have probably got technically the best of breed products and one msp that i know in the us uh, uh, did uh, an analysis on this really really well within their business and it all came down to something we're always banging the drum about which is tracking the amount of time and the profitability hmm. of uh, tickets within your uh, business what they did was um, they made sure to tag each of the tickets or to highlight on each of the tickets within the PSA tool which vendor product was causing the issue if it was known. And then once a quarter, they'd go back and look at it and say, hey, actually, you know, we've implemented this tool and it's supposed to make life easier for us. It's supposed to lower our cost of support. But over the last three months, we have had more tickets for that 
for that product, for that vendor, for that tool than for anything else. What it actually helped that MSP do was then go back to the vendor in question and say, something's not going on right here. And so, Pete, you were saying earlier on about like implementation cost and, you know, six grand for a PSA and all of that. You know, many uh, MSPs forego that sort of implementation and it's a frustration for the vendor. But if you can highlight and say, look, we've got this tool, we're paying for this tool, we're spending way too much time maintaining it and keeping it going. You can then go back to the vendor and say, right, you know, we're thinking about moving on here. What are you going to do about it? And most vendors will say, yeah, we'll send a consultant. We'll give somebody there. We'll, um, we'll re- even reduce the price of the, the tool or whatever it might be. So, again, it's a fundamental of managed services looking at the profitability of not just your clients, but of the vendor relationships you've got as well. Really important one because you can have best of breed product and crappy support, and that's going to eat away at your profitability. There's a, a couple of things I'd uh, mentioned there. There was the first around. Um, uh, sorry, I'm just making notes here. Uh, first around uh, when you're looking at introducing like new product sets into your into your packaging or pricing, what have you. Um, something which we did uh, a few times successfully was if you're bringing in something that's like the cybersecurity awareness training and you want to you want to get that bundled into your product or you just want to bring it into your business but lots of them also have like minimum commitments like you need to buy 500 licenses or whatever it's going to be 500 seats or 200 seats to get started actually if you uh, and be interested what you guys think about this if you email your client set and say hey we're looking at bringing this product into into our offering um this is what it's going to offer these are the benefits and fit and all that kind of stuff roughly speaking this is going to be what the monthly price is going to be like if we were to offer that to you, would you be interested in that? Like, would you sign up to that? And we did that quite a few times and basically got pre-sign off with customers saying, yeah, we buy that from you. And you go, okay, cool. Now I've got 100, 200, whatever it is. Okay, I'm going to go buy your product, bring it in. We've got the product. Here's the quote. Let's crack on. I don't know if you guys did that or what, what your thoughts around kind of pre-selling it before you In the marketing it, world, yeah. it, is, it is huge. Like they say with any new product that you're ever building out in, in SaaS world or anything like that is the very first thing you do, go and pre-sell it before you start it, before you buy it, before you write your first line of code, go and get your first 10 customers that have put cash into your bank before you do it. And I think pre-selling is an awesome strategy when you're rolling out new tools into a tech stack is to, to go engage yeah. the customer feedback. But you got to you do have to also weigh it up with the old that old saying from Henry Ford of, if I asked my customers what they want, they would have asked for a faster horse. And so you've got to, with, especially around the cybersecurity space, you've got to be careful that sometimes a customer won't know what they don't know. And so, so yeah, go on uh, stuff like password managers and technology enablement and all that sort of stuff is awesome to go and pre-sell. Cybersecurity stuff, typically you're, you're probably not going to be able to pre-sell. You've got to sell them on the the, the risk first before anything else than, rather than the yeah. product out there. But yeah, we used to do something not not dissimilar to it and the vendors are going to vendors watching them and friends are going to absolutely hate me for saying this but we used to go to the uh, to our vendor uh, partners and say uh, you know because many of them give price breaks depending on whether you got 250 500 1000 licenses or whatever and we used to say okay at the moment we're at like 50 licenses for this um if you give us the price break of 500 now we commit in the next 6 months to reaching that level we will go ahead and do that and again, so rather than, you know, we've talked many times about this MSP and vendor relationship, rather than going to them and saying, gimme, 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 we'd say, look, we're going to make a commitment to it. And 99.9% of the t- uh, times, the uh, the vendor would say, sure, if you commit to that, we will give you the price in now. Some of them would actually get a little bit cheeky and come back and go, well, okay, we can do that. But if you fail to meet yeah, yeah. <laughs> licenses, we're going to back charge and we say, no worries, we're going to stand by our convictions on this. But for anybody watching who's looking, you know, to get the price break and looking to get a head start on it, I think that puts uh, some degree of pressure on you as a sales team as well, then to go out and to make this happen, rather than yeah, just yeah. another tool sitting there on the stack that could lower your cost. Lights a fire, yeah, Lights exactly. A fire under your butt, which is good. And there's nothing like a little bit of self-enforced motivation out there as well when you do things like that. To just agreed, the burn the it. burn the bridges. Exactly. There's, I, I, I remember in my burn MSP, boat, was, sorry, not burn, burn the, the boats. Yeah. That's the one. There was a number of tools in my MSP that I signed up for with the best intention to go and sell it out to everybody with minimum commitments in there, and then I just yeah. did nothing with the bloody thing and sat there paying this thousand bucks a month here and five hundred bucks a month here or whatever it was without going out we'll and selling it. it. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I think we've always been in the. I think everyone's been there also where they bought the tool, tried to sell it, failed to sell it, and now yeah. you're stuck paying the bill that you can't yep. do anything with. Yep. Yeah. You well, you've sold it to one you'll, customer. You'll, if you have a commitment, you'll yeah. find a way. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then just the second part of that was um, you were mentioning about like the reporting and profitability per per vendor and those kind of things. Um, honestly, you can do so much with like your accountancy tools nowadays. Create account codes for both the money you're making from that particular product and the, the revenue you're spending on it, um, and you can do comparisons and profitability from that as well. Um, but also a tool I'm a massive fan of, and I know I'm not meant to get into like vendors specific, but um, Bright Gauge, which mm. is owned by. Uh, uh, ConnectWise now. Yeah. BrightGage is such a powerful tool that I found. It, it basically integrates with everything that I've come across in the MSP world. There's a few kind of niche newer vendors that it doesn't, but but generally speaking. And you can cross-reference a ton of data. You can bring in your accountancy information, your PSA information, so you can compare like the finance data based on um, the, the number of hours you're spending on certain things. If you're, you know, if you're billing out of one system and, and logging data in another. Um, and it can be so powerful for actually giving you the data so you can show stuff internally that you need to focus on, but also showing that data to your clients and having like a client-facing report because it will filter out all of the, the other customer stuff and just give them their data automatically without you having to create like 50 different reports for 50 different clients. You can work on one template and it just filters a lot out. So yeah, ma massive, massive fan uh, of using something like BrightGage to do that. Plus one, we were a huge fan of them. We were one of their first very customers when they first started and worked closer with Brian and Eric to, to help get yeah. the, the system built. And it was bloody awesome. Loved it. Yeah. Um, I haven't used it for five years now, so I don't know what it's like nowadays, but it was amazing tool back in the day. And um, it's even it. better. Even yeah. better. Right. I can imagine. Right. Scott, those... where do we get up to on um, <laughs> uh, We got as far as web content filters. Uh, so next on the list, we had some kind of cloud file backup for the right. per users. So, I mean, this might be OneDrive, it might be Google Drive, just something simple that's making sure that those files on the end use device are backed up and accessible somewhere else. But it could be Veeam, it could be uh, Datto, it could be any of those things that are just making sure that the device files are backed up. Do you, do you back up um, Office 365 files on the per user basis as well? Do you guys use one of those tools? In yeah, so we use Drop Suite for, yeah, for Office 365 backup. Uh, we also yeah. use Skykick for some clients. Right. Um, if if it we would we would sell um, Drop Suite just again because it's simple, it's integrated with awesome. our distributor yeah. tool. Yeah. Um, and so like invoicing and billing is just taken care of. But we have some legacy clients that we've inherited and they already had Skykick. Right. So they're on Skykick. It's one of those things where if they're already embedded into a backup system, exporting and moving that data onto something else, it's, just, it's mm. easy just to leave where it is. We uh, just moved to the slow crunch portal. Spanning backup. We had spanning in there to do oh, all yeah. of the, because uh, we're a, a, a Google workspace, uh, so we've drunk the Google Kool-Aid, but we moved across to, to Drop Suite. For something I was saying earlier, It was it's just so much easier awesome, to, yeah. to manage and maintain to do that. So spanning a, the backup was, a, the um, the interface was a little bit sort of Windows 95, uh, the, uh, whereas Drop Suite is a fairly modern product. We, we had our first restore that we needed to do the other day as a team, like a pretty significant restore the other day because one of our staff members accidentally did something and um, and it was like restored within like two minutes, I think it took yeah. us. If we would even go into legal hold in Office 365 and figure out where that stuff was, it would have taken us mm -hmm. 20 minutes to half an hour, but two minutes we had the stuff back in, in Drop Suite. That was a, yeah. such yeah. a good... No, it's it's such a good suite, and it's it's really simple, and it's really cost effective as well. Yes. It's great. Again, you can afford to just include it in all of your MSP yeah. plans rather than just yeah. going, "Hey, it's an optional extra." Just don't make it optional; just bang it in. Um, mobile device management or mobile app management is the next piece. So, again, we all know that the like in in, in every business, people are just using their own devices. It's very rare that we find an organization, and we do see them where they've completely locked down. 365 or, or G Suite so that you can't access it from other devices. Um, interestingly, the meeting that I had to rush off to last week uh, with, uh, with the German organization had entirely locked down 365. And you couldn't access anything unless you came yeah. through their corporate firewall and their VPN. Um, and even on mobile devices, it was verboten, um, which was very, a very interesting approach. They were very, very strict. Um, More importantly, did they, they close the deal? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a real difficult one. Um, so I, I, I won't go into it. Um, but you, you absolutely have to have some kind of mobile device or mobile app management. Um, and, and the simple premise being, if it's corporate devices, Windows, Macs, you know, mobile devices, iOS and Android, 
you should be locking those down, restricting them as much as possible. Um, if it is bring your own device, whether that's, again, Windows, Mac, or Android and iOS, you have to have a set of policies that apply to the business data that sits inside those. Because, cool, yeah, bring your own device, use it, but we have to stay in control. That data needs to be encrypted. If you open... I don't know, Outlook, it prompts you for a pin. We have to have the device controls around that. So we're not saying we have to enroll every single device because people will bring their own devices, but we have to manage the data that's on there. So that has to be part of your stack because it's such an easy way for people to get breached. And generally, I'll make some sweeping generalizations, but you'll have a huge Windows estate and Windows is locked down to the nth degree. And there are two people with Macs and iPads. <laughs> the owner... And the FD. <laughs> well, it's a good job they haven't got any sensitive data on their devices then, isn't it? But those are yeah. completely unbiased. They're outside of all the IT policies. And wide open okay. access to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the rules don't apply to them because yep. oh, they're the boss. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, th those are, you know, absolutely have to be under MDM. One thing to add on to that as well is that, um, it, and it surprises me, actually, the number of times I speak to people and they haven't kind of niched down to, like, one vendor for certain categories mm. of, top, uh, of hardware. Yeah. So, like, one vendor for the PCs and laptops, one vendor for switches and routers and files, like all those kind of things. Like not not one that covers all of them, but just one that's the best of each. Again, going back to the best of the breeds, because when you come down to doing like device lockdowns and like it, even things like going back to like the imaging and those kind of things, if you have one type of device, it's so much easier to manage. You've got one relationship with the vendor. There's one place you phone when things go wrong. It just makes it so much easier. So um, yeah, just just definitely consider that when you're when you're building out. I know it's not strictly tech stack speaking, but when when you're building out how you want to run your MSP, having generally one place to go for a switch, a router, uh, yeah, those kind of devices. Is it definitely consider that? Is it you, Richard, that that calls it one throat to choke? I think it's yeah, or the uh, more polite way of doing it. I couldn't possibly comment on that, but the other way is um, um, one hand to shake, isn't it? Right. Yeah. One throat to shake. I prefer the Homer Simpson approach. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So if we move on from MDM stuff, uh, MFA, so multi-factor authentication, whether that's using something built in with G Suite or M365. Look at me trying to be all inclusive. Use Microsoft, um, but if it's you know if you're trying to use G Suite M365, um, or you you know there are third party tools you could use Cisco. Cisco Duo have a fantastic solution, yep. um, but everybody needs to be on MFA. Everybody, not just the admins, not just the senior staff, not just the people with the you know access to sensitive data. Everyone needs to be on MFA, and and we don't put up with any moaning from the end users. They've got to do it for their banking. They've got to do it for Facebook. They've got to do it for Netflix. Just get on with it. Everyone needs to be on MFA, yeah. and if I if they're less not, less then like trustworthy with anything like MFA related. Not not just MFA, sorry, but um, like SMS MFA. Just no, just please don't. Um, yeah. just anything yeah. that's a separate yeah. actual MFA tool that will generate the codes for you. I'm a, I'm a massive fan of like the Yubi keys and the uh, the Google um, uh, Titan keys and things nowadays. I'm I'm kind of getting lesser. Exactly, exactly that. Um, I, love, I, I love. I don't know love if there's an easy things. way to actually manage that throughout. A customer base. I don't know if there are any solutions out there to do that. That's one I'm not really Duo is one yeah. that, that a lot of are yeah. you guys do you use Duo, Scott, in your MSP? Uh, no, no, no. We we use Microsoft, and then if we're using hardware keys, we've got these Yubi keys. Yubi keys, yeah, yeah. These Yubi keys are fantastic. Duo can help you manage all the Yubi keys in the same like it, it's got an interface in the Yubi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And helps you do all the MFA yeah. stuff across across platform and back it all up and centrally control nice. the policies and everything in there. Yeah, that that's one of the the features that like if you're on if you're on MFA with Microsoft, it's great, it's free, it's kind of built into everything, um, and you can use third party devices like that. But there isn't a single kind of uh, you know portal. Same same as most Microsoft stacks, there isn't a single portal <laughs> for you to go in and go show me all the keys. Okay, right. this guy's yeah, left. Yeah. Well, this yeah, this yeah. needs to be reset. They've lost this key on a per user basis, the user has to go in and go, right, delete this key that I've lost and then add in this key. Um, so yeah, so the, there's definitely, no, I'll be back. You know, there, are, there are drawbacks. Oh, he's off. But if you use like a, you know, a professional solution, that's awful. If you use a, a paid for solution, um, then things like Cisco do will let you, mon you know, monitor, manage uh, all those different devices. <laughs> Theo is making the point that Mikey also have 2FA. They do. Uh, do um i've been having some issues with mikey's 2fa if i'm honest at the moment theo um just that 
it tends to duplicate the 2FA entries. And so we have the same client with one MFA account. And then when we look, there are multiple MFA accounts for that client and that login. Um, and, it, and all three of them are showing a different uh, number when we click on it. Um, so that might be me. Um, but Scott, I think uh, your phone is ringing and, and Chris Tate from Mikey is calling you right now. To <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris, hello. Um, it might be me, um, but we, we are having some issues and we are early in our deployment of Mikey. So uh, you're right. It's it's definitely an option. I just, I can't recommend it myself right now because we're, we're not having 100% experience with it. But I do love it for the password management side of things. And so we use it wherever possible to have that single MFA or 2FA. Um, so again, that's another great MSP thing is having, you know, having admin access to one of your clients and then the MFA is on one engineer's mobile or two engineers mobile or everyone's yeah. mobile. And so when one person yeah. logs in, everyone gets a ping on their phone. It goes, hey, are you trying to log in? Um, centralized password tools like Mikey make life much easier to have a single point of 2FA. I know IT Glue does it as well, um, but it's a really great way to have a centralized MFA access for admin for your your clients. Yeah. Cool. And, and maybe we'll, we'll keep the debate for another day of whether you should store 2FA alongside the password in there because I know there's, a, there's an endless debate. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Without that yeah. one, but we'll save that, that just, debate for another day. Yeah. It's not good, is it? It's um, just like, oh, yeah, here's the password and here's the MFA code. <laughs> here's your second factor uh, with the first factor in there. Yeah, 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 uh, which I've emailed to you. Um, yeah, all right. So if we <laughs> breeze on, because what have we got? Nine minutes. So right from a global perspective, so here's all the other things that we haven't talked about that seem kind of obvious and most people get these right. Um, so email, antivirus, and anti-spam basics. You know, you could use the built-in Microsoft stuff. G Suite has some stuff. You could use Mimecast. You could use Sophos. There are some great tools uh, around for all of those. Um, email URL filtering. So again, safe links, as we call them in the Microsoft world, or, but just that ability that the e the URL that's attached to any single email has been pre-scanned, pre-vetted, or rewritten in some way before it lands in the user's mailbox. We know that 99% of attacks come through phishing or bad passwords. And so if we've got multi-factor authentication and we've got email and URL filtering, then we're golden. You know, we've, we've just knocked off 99% of breaches. There's still a lot of work to do, but we've made life a lot easier for ourselves. Hey, Similarly, Scott, I want to give a, email... a shout out for the, mm -hmm. um, we talked about AI uh, here. So there's a new breed yeah. of these sort of email filtering tools that are coming uh, uh, down the road. Uh, Graphus being one of them that uh, Kaseya had acquired. And uh, it's a little bit like the early days of antivirus, you know, when we have a signature, and if it matches the signature, oh, it's a bad guy and we get rid of it. Of course, people are, you know, um, email threats are getting more sophisticated. So people don't just, as soon as they gain access, they have a bad guy. They don't email the FD and say, send money, money, money. They keep it sitting in the background there, sitting in the background. So what Graphus and other tools like that do is they use AI machine learning to have a look at the patterns. And then if suddenly an email comes in and it's like, this doesn't look right, then it flags it. And so that, you know, I've seen examples of uh, where it can save thousands and thousands of pounds of, uh, of lost hours uh, by picking that up. So have a look at the modern breed of AI-based tools there. No, definitely. And and again, when I come back to that tool like Heimdall, and, and there are others, you know, Sophos, Intercept X will do this as well, where they're actually, they've got some heuristics on the device looking in the inbox as well and looking out for those, you know, odd behaviors. Uh, so there's some great stuff there. Um, what else have we got? Email signatures. Um, so in generally, people want a central email signature. So exclaimer seems to be the most popular one that I bump into, just to have a... Yeah a really easy, you know, integrated with G Suite or 365. Look at me again. Oh. Um, but it's it's really nicely integrated. It's very simple to do and gives you that global control over email signatures. I remember using that one in Exchange 03, SPS 03 days. Yeah, right. yeah. It's exactly still right. going. Still around. Yeah. And, and it, it blows me away that that isn't just kind of a built-in. <laughs> Agreed. Microsoft have got basic text-based signatures or whatever in there, but how the heck have they gone this long with not having centralized signature management? inside yeah. inside oh. office 365 blows my mind and it's all on a per user basis the yeah. same again it's all per user and, and like it does make me think that for good old exclaimer like you're a nanosecond away from your business model being destroyed oh, of course. yeah <laughs> <laughs> we've been, <laughs> been on that nanosecond since sps 2003 days when i was saying oh man yeah, yeah, these yeah. guys are going to be yeah, wiped yeah, yeah. out when microsoft <laughs> come out with that feature and what's it now 12 years later no sorry 20 years later and they still haven't come out with it <laughs> 
yeah. They're like that. Do you know what, guys? We've printed money on this. If we if we go pop tomorrow, it's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're being all right. Email archiving, I think, is is a, another obvious one, either archiving or backup. So again, the usual um, would be Mimecast, one of the big ones for email archiving, uh, one of the, the larger and more expensive ones, but a great comprehensive suite. You can get archiving built into uh, 365 suites in some of the packages. Um, I don't know about G Suite, but definitely you you have to be doing no. that. And again, for the same point that you made earlier, Nigel, accidental deletion, yeah. you know, uh, it's quicker to just get it back. Uh, so Drop Suite, again, we'll do email backup as well. But archiving, I think, is that kind of longer term thing for me. But yeah, we need that. Um, what else? Backup in general, backup and DR. So we'd already talked about Drop Suite. We already talked about um, Backupify and Datto. Um, Theo says G Suite does offer archiving, and Ben is really excited next door. I can just hear him shouting <laughs> through the wall, so something, something's going well. Um, yeah, so backup and DR, I think you have to have, whether that's uh, Datto, you know, on-premise devices as well. There's some great stuff there if they've got little on-premise servers, if they've still got file servers or print servers or anything that's kind of still running on-premise um, as part of a hybrid solution, then having that backup and DR is absolutely mandatory. Again, it will save you an absolute headache. Uh, and cloud-based backup is the way to go. You can still do on-premise tape devices if you really want to, or disk-based backup devices on-premise if you want, but... Honestly, these days, I'd, I'd be going Datto to the cloud or Datto appliance or or similar. Um, conscious, we've got five minutes. Cloud print management. Mm. Um, so again, oh, if you are going printings. entirely cloud, yeah, printix. Bunch of good reports. Printix, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Printix, and again, I should also bring into that, I suppose, scanning, because scanning to the cloud and into your you know, mailboxes can be awkward if you've got the wrong type of devices or older devices will find it difficult to connect to 365 and G Suite. So again, having some kind of cloud print and scan management is, is essential, I think. Just having it in your toolbox. Not every single customer will need it, but you're going to bump into enough people who have that problem that you need to have the right answer set aside. Uh, warranty tracker or warranty tracking in general, uh, but warranty tracker is one of the most popular for this. Again, your RMM or PSA tool might do this for you or have a, you know, a built-in capability. But if not, then warranty tracker would be absolutely fantastic for this. Make sure that all those devices or servers or routers just gives you a single point of data for all of that uh, maintenance. Like warranty master as well, is it? The one that's... Yeah. Um, uh, Chris Day from XIT Glue is involved in that one. One of the founders, you know, yeah. right, similar. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and again, you know, at scale across all of your clients, it's just much easier. <laughs> it's just much easier. It keeps life simple. They changed the name, that's, didn't that's they? Warren Warren they did a scale pad now. Scale pad. Ah, yeah. Scale pad. Okay. Scale pad. Yep. I'm not going to remember that. I'm going to remember Warranty Master. Yeah. I still remember it as Warranty Master. <laughs> scale pad. I've, re I've reached an age I can't retain new information. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then I think just some of the obvious, you will always need some kind of DNS or SSL management tool. I'm not, I'm not thinking about web hosting, but even just for emails and domains and SSLs, you're going to need to have that as part of your kit bag. And so th there's got to be a, a trusted set and ideally a single set that you will go to to do that because there's nothing worse than having DNS and SSL subscriptions in all different portals. And oh, so your yeah. techs never know, where am I going? What are the password details? How do I get in there? The more you can consolidate that, the easier it will be for you. And again, the you should be tracking those and the expiry dates in your RMM or uh, tool or your PSA tool. Okay. Um, but you should be tracking those expiry dates because they're going to sneak up on you. They're going to cause an outage. Your customer's going to be very unhappy that you didn't realize their domains expired. Um, and then let's see what else have we got. So, Richard, I think you popped in about business-grade VPNs. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I think most of us, we've had, a, again, on a previous episode, we talked about uh, consumer-grade VPNs, uh, which are well-dodge is probably the best way to put it. Very, <laughs> yeah. very dodgy there, you know, and everything that's going on. Better than nothing, perhaps you might say, but there are business-grade VPNs out and there are MSP-grade VPNs out there. Privatize is the one we use uh, internally uh, here, but there are other options available as well. And again, it's another one of those ones where it mitigates the risk. You know, if your clients are out and about here in the UK, we've just opened up again and people are being told to go back into the office. But previously, people working from coffee shops, hotels, cafes, everywhere else using Wi-Fi provided by who knows what, 
doing who knows what with the data as well. So a VPN, I think, is a must nowadays. Yeah. And I think it's it's now into the stage where there's the next layer of that coming out as well, all the secure global networks and the SAS. I don't know how you pronounce this one, S-A-S-E. S-A-S-E. I don't know. Sassy is it that um sassy probably sassy. um they're coming out like perimeter eighty one and toddle and all of those sorts of tools yeah sassy um those awesome tools that are coming out that are taking VPN to the next layer up now which is um super cool yeah absolutely I think that whole bit that builds on the the very ethereal zero trust correct concept yeah. and getting rid we of all talk about zero trust but you go cool can can someone just define zero trust for me <laughs> what are the key components. Well, not trusting things. Cool. Anything else? Uh, but no, it, you know, we we all get the concept of uh, of zero trust. But yeah, I think business grade VPNs makes perfect sense. Again, centrally managed, pushed out by your your tools, and monitored for updates. And then the last one, Pete. This looks like you uh, CRM or marketing platform. So something yeah. like Active Campaign, something Ooh. like that. Ooh. Yeah, I think oh, so. Just because the default go-to is you get a PSA tool and you go, okay, it's got marketing and CRM and stuff built in. Most of them aren't really that uh, great. Uh, they, don't, they don't really have all the features of a proper like marketing platform. Email deliverability issues, you get the things like, um, the one that did it for me was the unsubscribe link. I think it was ConnectWise when we were looking at that. If someone unsubscribed from an, a, a marketing email within ConnectWise, it would unsubscribe blanket from everything. Oh, Whereas right. if you have categories set up for things like critical notifications or product updates, you don't want a marketing email to then unsubscribe them from the critical stuff. And then they get annoyed at you because you've not not told them about some issue that's come up. Um, I'm so just looking at Nigel is chomping at the bit here to get involved. I, I can see him <laughs> I know, he's going to crawl through the screen. We've got to save this one for another episode, though, haven't we, marketing we, tools? We got- do. Um, but but I, I've got a little, I don't know if I can sneak peek my screen here, but I, how do you sneak peek a screen on this thing? Where's the screen share button? Um, I don't know if I can. Maybe I can't. Local video. Uh, how do you share a, a screen, Pete, in this thing? Share screen. Here we go. Share screen. Window. I'm just going to yeah. – I might be able to do a sneak peek of something. I don't know if you guys can see that. Then yeah, on, on the left, you have to add it into the, into the stream. There right. you go. Can yeah. you see that? Yes, we can. Yeah. This is something that might be coming sometime soon to everybody that's in the Tech Tribe, uh, and it may be called Growably, and it may be a Tech Tribe brand, and it may include an entire email marketing, website marketing, reputation management, opportunity pipeline, contact management, calendar management, everything all in one system um, for MSPs. And uh, I haven't shown anybody this yet, but it might be on the way. I, won't, I can't confirm nor deny, deny that. Um, so that's one that I can throw into the CRM thing that you're talking about there, Pete. Nice, very nice. Get that off. Mm. Exciting to play. I've I've covered everything in our general tech stack stuff. I think Richard, you made a point about any any unusual ads to the tech yeah. stack. Yeah. So Wayne Gretzky was it with the ice hockey player? He says, "I skate where the puck is going, not where it's been." So I just want to give a little look ahead, maybe as a teaser for next time, uh, of some of the things that I'm seeing being added to the tech stacks that are unusual. At the moment, the first one that jumps up there is network monitoring. Uh, so you've got Orvic, you've got uh, Domot. Uh, they're out there. Very, very cool stuff. And it's like, I'm not going to say it's next generation RMM, but it does stuff that the RMM tools simply don't do. And as I said, here in the UK, we're going back to offices now. We're being encouraged to go back to offices. So it's going to become more prevalent. We've got tools like IP cameras. You've got even you know fitness devices. You've got um, voice over IP systems, all of these stuff. And the traditional RMM tools sort of do a ping test to it to see that it's there, but can't really tell you a great deal about it. So have a look at, you know, Orvik, Demots that are out there. They're very cool. The other one that I wanted to bring up as well was um, GDPR and compliance tools. Massive, massive opportunity for managed service providers here. The number one tool I recommend in the UK would be Keepable. Uh, and they've got a whole a uh, platform uh, where you can help your clients keep track of breaches, how to manage GDPR and all that sort of jazz. So most people think GDPR, yawn, but you know it's there. It needs to be dealt with. And inevitably, as an MSP, if you are not the one helping the client with it, they're going to go somewhere else. And GDPR, I would say, is at the heart of what we do as managed services, looking after data security uh, for our clients. And the third one I throw out there, and we can definitely go into this in a future episode, we mentioned quoting tools. So most people are familiar with like Quozel um, or ConnectWise Cell, I think it's called now. Quoteworks is the big one. 
But again, there's some really real cool uh, advancements come in there. So Zomentum have got a sales enablement platform specifically built from the ground up for MSPs. And it for, for most of us in this industry, we are not too hot on marketing, not very good at sales. A platform like Zomentum just enables, holds you by the hand and lets you know lets you uh, to do what you need to do to go out there and sell more of what you need to sell. So again, three little teasers there. No, we haven't got time today, but perhaps we can revisit the uh, the future of managed services at another point. Agreed. We are seven minutes over. Sorry, party <laughs> people. Um, we will wrap it up because we do like to try and keep these things in some sort of reasonable uh, um, time frame around an hour. And um, if we left uh, our, if we're left to our own devices, we will go for hours talking about. We this will stuff. keep going. But we'll wrap up. Um, hopefully, that was helpful to those of you out there going through the whole tech stack thing. One of my, I'm going to finish with the point that I think is the most important point of all, and that is obviously you're going through, you're creating your tech stack, you're building it, it matures over time. You cheat, you tweak it, you change it. New things are being added to it. But, um, but always make sure that you're cleaning up behind you as you're going through that process. And so uh, you, for case in point for us, we got to a certain point where we had three backup vendors that we had in there because we'd gone, oh, this one was good. And then we went across to this one because it was better. And then we went across to that one, but we kept all the other ones in there. And, um, and it was incredibly painful and taxing on our service delivery desk as we were trying to scale, trying to support and manage three different vendors in there. And so, I, but me being the typical type of entrepreneur that's always wanted to do new things and jump on new new stuff, didn't want to go back and do that cleanup. But I had to force myself and force us as a business to always be slowing down a little bit as we're bringing on new tools and making sure we're cleaning up the mess behind us before we get too top heavy in all of this stack and we just fall under the weight of all the different tool sets out there. So as you go through chopping and changing, make sure that you're, you're cleaning up the mess behind you because there will always be mess and, um, and put intentional effort into that consolidation and removing tools that you're no longer doing and migrating people across to new ones. Go through that pain of having those conversations with your clients to, to get them off one and onto the other because it's going to, it's going to, bite you in the rear, rear end if you don't go and sort that stuff out um, in, as you start to grow and build up and scale things faster and faster. So I'll finish with that one. Um, Pete, you get to win our wrap-up again, are you? Sure. Yeah, happy to. Yeah. Well, thanks, everyone, for uh, attending. Thank you, Richard, for coming back again. It feels like you haven't been here for like a month or two. So thank you very much. Good to have you back. Um, don't forget to subscribe, which is down there below Nigel. If you're on watching on YouTube, please go over to our YouTube channel to watch and to subscribe on there. Um, so that'd be fantastic. We're on all the podcast platforms. So go and find us. It's just called, is it called, is that under Tech Tribe or is it just called? It's on the Behind, behind the, Geeks. the Geeks. Yeah, it's just under Behind, behind the Geeks. The Geeks. So if you search for Behind the Geeks on your yeah. favorite podcast platform, it'll be on there. And um, we'll be here same time, same place next week. And and Ismail just says, good morning all. <laughs> I hope he's not oh, saying good morning because he's just turned up. <laughs> <laughs> good morning, good evening, and good night. That's it. Exactly. We'll see you all next week. We'll come up with a topic and um, I don't know what it'll be, but we'll figure something out and we'll see you all same time, same place next week. Thanks, everybody.